Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton. This podcast will seek to define and explain this important question from multiple points of view. We will interview owners, breeders, caregivers, defenders, advocates, champions, and educators. The mission of my podcast is to seek and foster collaborative conversations where every point of view feels heard, acknowledged, and appreciated. I look forward to you joining me on this journey toward a better understanding of each other. It is possible to have an impossible conversation. It starts with listening for common ground first. I am so glad you're here listening in with me. Now let's see what my next guest has to say. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and thank you again for coming to Why Do Pets Matter, my podcast. And today I am so thrilled to be joined by Temple Grandin, a good friend of mine for many years. She actually wrote a review of my book in 2015. We actually watched the Super Bowl together, and I think it was 2013, uh, Temple, so we go way back. And uh, Temple is a phenomenal professor at Colorado State University. She's an author. She's a speaker. She speaks on the humane uh, slaughter of uh, animals for livestock, and she also is an advocate um, and an activist for understanding people who learn differently, whether it's autism or anyone on the spectrum. So today, I am so grateful to have you here, Temple. Great to be here. Thank you. So what we start our podcast with, because it's the title, is Why Do Pets Matter to You, Temple? Well, I had a dog growing up, and uh, one of the things that really helped me as a teenager was horses. My life revolved around horses. I had friends through horses. I learned how to work taking care of a horse barn. Uh, that was a very important part of my life. And what I've noticed here in, in Fort Collins now with COVID, the dogs have never had it so good. They're getting yeah. more walking. They're getting to play with other dogs out on the lawn and the condo place where I live. Um, they're getting more attention from people than ever. I think dogs have become part of the indelible fabric of COVID in such a more intimate way. Well, yes, I know that people have been adopting pets. And one of the concerns is, well, when COVID's over, they're going to just give up all the pets. I don't think so. There's going to be some people that are going to give them up. But I think there's an awful lot of people that are going to just keep them. They find out they really care about the dog. They're not going to give up the dog. Absolutely. And and you may have to find somebody to come and walk it and take care of it. Um, there's a lot of students in the neighborhood. One thing I talk about all the time in autism meetings is that autistic kids need jobs. And a perfect job for autistic 11 and 12-year-olds is walking somebody's dog for them every day, where they do a job outside the family where somebody else is the boss. It's a very important skill for them to learn, and they're not learning that. Because the independence it provides and the, and the sense of achievement, I think it provides, whether the child's autistic or just a regular video-obsessed child, is in, in, immeasurable. There's too many kids getting totally addicted to video games. And, I mean, you have different people in, in different uh, situations. But I was done, you were telling me that some people are concerned it's going to be a mass, uh, bring the dogs back to the animal shelter. There'll be some of that, but I don't think it's going to be masses of them. Right. I'm going to predict that way over half of them are going to keep them. I think so, too, because I think people have really become aware of how they assist their children in coping um, because yeah. animals are your best friend. You tell them everything. Right. I know yeah. when you were a child and I was a child, told the dog everything. Good thing they couldn't talk. That's right. 
That's absolutely right. <laughs> so um, when we're talking about moving forward with dogs, uh, these people, some of them have adapted them from shelters. It was a blessing. All the animals left the shelters because people were sheltering in place and took animals home. What do you think was the one biggest piece that people who had never had a pet before might have had to surmount um, and why pets now matter to them? Because, of course, we know they had to feed them and walk them. But there might have been another piece that really would cement these dogs in their life. Well, you know, being locked, you know, we were like in lockdown, only were allowed to go to the grocery store and nowhere else, basically. Um, having a pet uh, can be really a great thing. Um, I've noticed here in this condo complex where I live, everybody would social distance and the three dogs would be playing on the lawn. Um, and and that's, uh, that's uh, really a good thing. Absolutely. Uh, because it's a problem, you know, living in cramped areas. One thing I found that helps me is having a schedule. I got to get up every morning, be dressed and showered and ready for work by eight, period. Yep. That makes a huge difference. And I also suggest to kids to go look up life on the International Space Station. I because see they, that behind you. I yeah, see the that's Hubble right. I got my NASA poster up there. Yep. Um, that they've learned a lot about how people can live in very cramped quarters. They have a schedule. They have to get dressed. And one of the things they have is a midday meal where everybody eats together. And they also have free time along with their work time and their scheduled exercise time. And they have to do a lot of exercise or their health will deteriorate and weightlessness. That's something that NASA and the Russian Space Agency have both learned, you know, for people living in, in close quarters. Well, you know, now that we're all home sheltering in place, how many of us are not? We might maybe used to go to the gym. We're not going to the gym now. And it's sometimes hard to discipline yourself. And we had spoken about how you decided, I've just got to get up at eight o'clock, get dressed, do my I day. I do it every morning and I feel a whole lot better. I just have to do it. I have exercises I do at home. I do sit-ups. I do kind of modified push-ups. I do them every day. I go for my walk around the neighborhood every day. Um, those are things that you just have got to do. Uh, you know, my whole life's been turned upside down. All my speaking engagements are all getting canceled. And we've been doing some of them online. Some yep. of them are just getting canceled. I had to learn how to use Zoom. Uh, everybody had to learn how to do a lot of things. Our classes are going online. Some things work okay online. Labs don't. Yeah. Horse training class. We have a calving class that's not work online, period. It would, it would not be easy to calve on class. So in your, in your experience during the last, I guess, three months of the school year in Colorado, how did, how did you cope? You know, because you teach these wonderful classes on animal sciences. Well, I got my lectures online, and that seems to work fine. I learned how to run the chat boards and the, and the discussions. Put the lectures online, and then you assign them. They've got to watch them. Then the discussion needs to be video. Needs yeah. To be video. Not. I tried an audio conference call. That was awful. Chat boards. Um, there's some students are going to have to be asynchronous. They're going to have to use some of those. So if you want to really get something out of the class, I'd recommend going on the uh, video conferences, and I'll make sure there's more than one. Yep. One will be at the time the regular class would be. The other one will be in an evening. And even if they have to just come on by phone, the students' names are up there on the toolbar, and I can get, I can see their name show up, and 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 I, you know, even if their picture's not there, I can still call on them. And I found that that works a lot better. There's a bunch of things yeah. I've learned. Audio chats uh, that works for business people it doesn't work with students. I tried tried it, 
There's yeah. a bunch of stuff I've learned. And you may have to have, if I got a big class, I may have to have three different audio chats. Uh, if I have 50 students, I'll break them up into, into three groups. They can pick the group they go in because they'll, they'll need flexibility schedule. And then the ones that have to be truly asynchronous, I'll have the chat board. Yeah. But I'm going to try to discourage that. You really have worked so hard during this time to make sure that your students are supported, which I have to really congratulate you because a lot of teachers found it to be almost insurmountable. Well, one of the things, one thing I did in the very beginning, I had 54 students in my class. I gave them all my cell phone number. I only had six or seven call me. And that's when I've learned they've got to get on the video chats. And we've got some students out on ranches that don't have um, internet. Okay, then they'll have to be on the phone. But they, but I can call on them and you know get them to participate because I got the rest of the class talking. Yeah, um, so, that's what I found works. And then my graduate students, we get together for um, outside, and we have a gazebo right where I live, and we have um, takeout dinner in the gazebo every week. And distancing dinner. A distancing dinner. Now, the other thing that's been hard that's helped my students is um, uh, one of my students who's getting really bored and. Well, she goes out and helps him work some cattle. Another one, he goes out and he finds some beef cattle that, that he visits. You know, they've got to get out. Yeah. They've got to get out and, and, and do some stuff. Otherwise, it's just going to be too, uh, uh, you know, and one of my students got out and she got to sort cattle. And that was a totally safe activity and she loved it. And, we're trying to and you know, so what you're, what you're talking about is not just that why do pets matter? All animals really matter. In, yeah, it matters. Uh, one, of my, our one of my students has got pet cattle over at the university feed yard that he goes and visits. Yeah. And he also tamed a whole bunch of pet Canada geese at his apartment complex and they got chewed out for feeding them. Then <laughs> He had a landing on the railing for him, and yeah, it you know they do really create that that grounding. I think that we need that makes us get up in the morning. I know with my dogs, I have get to get up, up in, the, in morning. the morning and get dressed. Eight o'clock, dressed, and they do the space shuttle in the space station. Mission, they could have mission control wake them up, yell at talking to them, or they can have play music. They get up. They've got to put on their polo shirts and their cargo pants. No, can you be in underpants all day in the space station? No. These are things that they've learned to make living in tight quarters workable. They, so and and, and you, the midday meal is one of the biggest things on the schedule. Oh, absolutely. And I think everybody uh, sometimes skips that. But for you, the experiences of your students during COVID have really been enhanced um, and rewarded if they got out and interacted with animals like you said the girl who went cutting cattle well and then one of my one of my students is, has a horse barn she goes to and then the, the other one uh, uh didn't have any place to go and we got it so where she could go handle some cattle that were part of now the little bit of research is starting back up it just got to get out yeah you really do and so going back to the ability of people to um have animals before shelter. Well, and some of my, my students have got animals now. We're not, um, I haven't been on an airplane since March 12th. All my flights, are, that's all canceled. I don't think I'll be going on a commercial airliner. Anytime uh, soon. Anytime soon. I really don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. And so they've all got these animals, either they had them before COVID or maybe they acquired them after COVID. No, my, no, my student already had them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Most don't you find that most students who are in any sort of animal science have animals as pets? It's no, just, they, they do. 
it, it, I think it keeps them going. I know that the veterinarians I've interviewed on Why Do Pets Matter before said those animals got them through school. And I know you have a deep love and abide for animals and how they help you function every day. Well, I usually want to resign and any pets to say I was traveling. I was just on the road 90% of the time. But I go over my, my, go to my assistant's house. We're kind of a quarantine group. He's got yeah. two um, Carolina red dogs. Uh, they know how to suck up to me and probably feed them a little bit of my dinner. They, so rest her snouts right on my leg. They have your number. They she have your number. number. <laughs> we had hamburger today and uh, she got some pieces. Oh, good. Well, you know, it really makes you feel, I know when, when my dogs are with me and I'm walking around the neighborhood, I think the interesting thing, you had said it before, that, you know, people are out walking their dogs in the condo. They're there. Well, I'm walking. I have like, you know, a quarter mile loop or half mile loop that I do every single day, like three times a day. And everybody's out and they it's interesting. Sometimes you don't notice, but they'll come out like the second time I walk and go, oh, I saw you walk by this morning. And not only are you being provided with the joy of your pets, but people who might not be able to have pets are really being receiving joy from your pets. Well, I'm getting to know a lot of a lot of the dogs in, in the neighborhood. And sure. I'm also trying to get a lot of writing done, too. I've got to do something constructive because our research projects really got messed up. We're now figured doing doing one where we're doing a thing with some dairy records and doing it all online. You know, oh, God, that'd be like so incredibly difficult. Well, it's not the best thing, but I don't know what else to do. Yeah, what else to do? So let me ask you a question. So with your in your um, um, inventions with the livestock community, uh, well, with the livestock in the in the livestock community, um, what drove you to do that? I know that there was was a reason that you visually saw something that would work. I'm a a visual thinker. Animals, you want to understand an animal, get away from words. They are a sensory-based thinker. So with my very first work I ever did with livestock, I look at what cattle were seeing, and they'd balk at a shadow, they'd balk at a vehicle parked next to a fence, balk at a chain hanging down, things that we tended not to see. Now, at the time, I thought everybody was a visual thinker. I didn't know my thinking was different. It's visual. And my student, just before COVID hit, did a really interesting experiment, horse perception. Now, people say, why is my horse just throwing this big fit in this arena? He's been in this arena. And then you realize somebody put one banner up in there that wasn't there before. So we wanted to see if you train a horse to just go by one side of a children's plastic playset. They're about four foot by four foot by four foot. Colorful plastic playset. Uh, the name's Megan Corgan. She did a wonderful job on this. And she walked the horse on 10, 12 times past the playset just on one side. And when the playset was rotated, it became a new object. Yeah. But think about it. If I hold this stapler like this, that looks totally different, different than, than that. You <coughs> would get the same thing with a bike. You get exactly the same thing. And people don't think of that. You see, you would just look at it and go, yeah, it's a kid's playset. And you wouldn't even pay any attention to it. Another thing I always talk to my students about are the Jack Pants Gap emotional systems the seven basic emotional systems you have fear right you've got um separation distress that's uh, uh you know when you leave a dog home alone and it chews up stuff and it's really right. upset. Right. separation yeah, yeah. distress then you have anger 
Right. But the two biggest problems, lots of times we get with pets is, you know, the fear of behavior and separation distress. And then you've got seek the urge to explore. Some dogs are big seekers. They'll just chase the ball and chase the ball. And other dogs that care less about the ball. Then you have the mother young nurturing. Then, of course, you've got sex. And then you've got play. And, and both genetics and experience can kind of set these, uh, these uh, different things on a music mix. Sort of imagine like a music mixing board. Right. It's adjusted by both genetics and experiences. Also, animals can get fear memories. They get afraid of, uh, like in my book, Animals in Translation, one of the things I discussed was the uh, animals in translation. I discussed yep. the black hat horse. And the black hat horse was terrified of black cowboy hats because he'd been abused by somebody with a black cowboy hat. White cowboy hats had no, no. effect. No effect. Yep. It's interesting how they hold those memories because I know my dogs do. They will absolutely hold a memory of walking past something and either it's a good memory, i.e. on the other side of this tree is always a rabbit. Yeah. I'm just going to always be ready for a rabbit or Oh, wait a minute. That's down a drain and something came out and bit me in the nose from that drain once. Yeah. So I'm not walking by drain. Well, that's right. They're really smart. And then, and then another similar drain grate on the street they might be afraid of. Oh, absolutely. I don't know. My brain and bit them. Um, the other thing that can happen is if a dog gets hit by a car, he often gets afraid of the place where he got hit by the car. Yeah. Yep. Not we just can, not the car per se, but the place. But the I had a horse who was afraid of the wind coming up from behind him. Yeah. It, he would just go berserk. And uh, we just had to always make sure that we, you know, had a good understanding of the wind pattern. Um, so I didn't go flying because I usually went flying. Yeah. Uh, so, so Temple, tell me a little bit more about how pets matter when it comes to autism. Cause I know you've done a lot of work. Well, on there, There's some autistic kids where service dog or having a pet is really a good thing. I have found there's three basic ways that kids on the autism spectrum react to pets. Love them. Absolutely love them. The second category, uh, they're a little afraid at first, and then they get to love them. Right. And then, unfortunately, there's a few kids where a pet or a service animal is not appropriate because they're afraid that the horse may whinny, the dog may bark. They can't control that. It's, just, it's usually a sensory-based problem. Right. They have a sensory-based problem with, with the animal, and then it's not appropriate. But you, you have, people ask me all the time, well, should I get a service dog? And I said, well, does your kid like dogs? Why don't you try out the next door neighbor's Labrador Retriever then? First, right. And find out if that, see how he reacts with it. Because and some well, kids that do just great with the service dog and others it may not be appropriate. And um, I was, I have attended a few of the Colorado, well, University of Denver Human Animal Bond conferences, as well as the Green Chimney conferences. And at those it sometimes was a little worrisome to some of the trainers because everybody has their own opinion, you know, um, that that they'd be left these animals as babysitters. And that's not always the best way for the um, autistic child or for the animal. Well, no, they they um, you see, then there's different ways you use service dogs. Uh, one way the dog is basically a command, a companion for the uh, for the child, maybe an emotional support animal. And the rules are different on airlines and stuff on, with that. Um, where you can get into some stress problems with a dog is when you tether the dog to, to a right. kid that's likely to run away. But there's a lot of kids on the autism spectrum that have a service dog mainly as a companion. And being a service dog, it uh, it's allowed uh, into all kinds of places. 
And there's been a big controversy with Delta Airlines. This was really stupid on the part of the dog owner. It was an emotional support dog that belonged to a serviceman, and it tore the face off of the window seat passenger. Yeah. And that messed things up for a lot of other people. And I've done some consulting with airlines. So I've heard their side of the story, too. And uh, that's something. Don't let something like that happen because that just ruins it for everybody else. I have to tell you that a gentleman who's uh, blind and has a, uh, a seeing eye dog, his name is Gary Norman. He's a good friend of mine. You would love yeah. him. We do, a, we do a, a program called Accommodate the Accommodators, which enables people to understand the limitations um, of service animals, what they right. must allow people to do with a service animal and what they can ask an, a person with an emotional support animal or service animal to leave if the dog is doing this. And also, I just actually uh, gave a talk at Colorado State University's um, School of Psychology, or maybe it was one of the psychology um, groups there, because they wanted to know what was their liability if they were going to write an emotional support animal program uh, letter. And I said, you better be working with an animal behaviorist. I said, because that animal might be a great companion for that person for emotional um, support. However, it may not be really good on airplanes. Well, I tell you one thing the airplanes, airlines have done, and I actually got a hold of some of the employee training materials for another airline. And uh, one of the rules is, and I support this totally, doggies yep. check in at the ticket counter, period. They've got to go up to a live ticket agent with their dog and check in at the ticket counter. And now, that's, that's going to keep a lot of bad dogs away from the airport, and there's no checking in on the phone, no kiosk, no printed boarding pass, none of that stuff. Nope, they have to actually be observed. And, and what I told the um, psychologists, I said, if you're not working with an animal behaviorist that can back you up, that this dog, like you just suggested, that the kiosk or that the, that the ticket agent gets to observe this dog and whether or not it, it looks as it, it's a big responsibility for them. Um, well, but on the other hand, the fact that uh, people that know their dog might do something bad. Uh, keep it at a cage until they get on the plane. They're right going to walk up to an airline ticket counter with that dog with the agent there. Yeah. And and um, people need to take some responsibility. Um, uh, like this thing with the Delta. If you look up Delta Airlines dog bite, it's really yeah. serious. They've taken down most of the gruesome pictures. But this dog kept the very serious bites on the window seat passenger's face. And right. one of the things reasons it happened is they put, let the serviceman get on first. That dog thinks he owns that airplane. Then, and they put him in a middle seat. It's really dumb. Then the window seat passenger comes in and invades the turf. Yeah. Right. And actually, from a behavior standpoint, you need to put him on last. Yeah. So he doesn't Absolutely. think he owns, owns the airplane. I know what the rules are. Go on the airplane first, but it's actually wrong from a behavior standpoint. I've talked to an airline about about it's so And, and uh, I, you know, then you get into whole, all kinds of controversies. And I've done a lot of work with big corporations, and I can understand their side of it, too. Yeah. Absolutely. They have to keep all the passengers safe. So what you really need to do is you need to tighten up emotional support animal um, certificates, not that they can get them online um, with nothing. They need, to, they need to make sure. I don't think a dog needs to have a, well, there's a thing they call good citizenship. Right. Um, that the dog was a good citizen or, and it's going to be safe. Yeah. Now, that doesn't require any near as much training as as a service dog. But on the other hand, don't bring your dog on a plane and let something like that happen. Yeah, I, I people, said people are, are sometimes not very honest with themselves on, on what their dog might do. 
I know it's it's amazing what people don't really understand about putting a dog in that situation. Well, he just bites when he's in closed quarters, and you're taking him on an airplane in the middle seat between two people. And and the thing the thing is, I've been uh, okay. We haven't flown now since March 12th, right? But I've seen hundreds of dogs at the airport, on the plane, in the terminal. It's been a non-issue. Yeah. They've been a non-issue. I, I only read only read about this horrible thing on Delta Airlines. I've never actually seen anything bad happen at the airport. One dog pooped on the stone floor at Denver. The lady picked it right up and put it in the garbage. Well, my husband had That's one. That's the only thing I've I've seen. My husband had one um, go to the bathroom um, on the plane uh, in flight. So that was pretty bad, but. You know, it happens. Nerves happen. It's, well, that happens. But then here's what a passenger did that was really bad. His dog pooped in first class and he didn't tell anybody. And it was diarrhea. Oh, next passenger goes to get on and his leg and his cell phone charger is now in it. You know, it's, you know, why do pets matter? It's not okay. You know, yeah. Pets matter to us, but pet, we have to know that, that passenger matter to us. cleaned it up. Yeah. Because they matter to us whether they're, you know, loving us and hugging us or whether they're sick and we have to clean up after them. Well, they have they to clean up after them. But people, I mean, these are the things that then and then the guy, the dog poop got on the guy's shoe. So he goes in the airport, in the airplane restroom and takes a picture of poo poo on the fancy shoe and posts it online. Oh, God. You know, it's it's so hard going. So I was talking to these psychologists and I said to them, you really need to change the way this is done. I said, if somebody wants an emotional support animal, you really need to make sure that you know that they need it. A, B, that you have an animal behaviorist, um, you know, um, evaluate this dog, that it can be in public space. Well, I I can tell you, baggage hold's not a nice place. I got involved in another project about dogs in the baggage hold. And I uh, so many dogs are lost every year in the bag. And well, because they freak out, you put them in the black hole and they freak out in there. Yeah, and yeah. so I'm real sympathetic about having the dogs be on the airplane. Yeah, I am. I'm not have them on the airplane. So, to me, the most important thing is that for a dog to go on an airplane or some other crowded place like that needs to have some kind of a, a we also need to have things that our low income folks can afford to do. Right. Something that's no more complicated, maybe a driver's license to be able to get their dog to have a good citizen certificate. Yep. And uh, that is really. So we, have, we don't get a dangerous problem in a confined place like an airplane. I know. And then we, of course, have to talk about um, next time if you'll come back, if, you're, if, if your schedule doesn't pick up and you can come back, I would love that. Well, I can we'd come love, back. Yeah. We'd love to have you come back because in that type of situation, there are people who have fear, like. Um, you know, allergies, they could have an allergy attack because they're, um, how do you handle that? Um, and then again, with, with opposite the, ends of the plane. Yeah, opposite ends of the plane. Yeah. You, the, yeah, yeah, that's what you'd have to do. Uh, because uh, I don't, baggage hold, I, I learned more about airplane baggage holds than you want to know. And I'll yeah. never forget a dog that was brought out, out very nicely in a van. The baggage handles I was watching from the airplane window, it was right over the over the conveyor that goes into the baggage right. hole. They checked the tag three times. The uh, dog was licking the fingers of the baggage handlers. It goes up that conveyor. It's halfway up the conveyor and it starts to spin. Oh, God. It was pure fear. Fear. And, yeah. and then when you look at some of the uh, problems where dogs have died or have gotten injured, I'll tell you right now, it's fear. It it's is fear. fear. 
I there's got to be a better way. A bunch of records, a bunch of records on on bad things that happen to dogs in that baggage hold, and it's fear. And so, first of all, you better make sure your pet loves this crate before you go anywhere near it. Right. That's the first step. And people say to me all the time, Deborah, you fly your dogs all the time. I said, well, my dogs are used to being in their crates, so their crates are safe. So wherever I put that crate, they lay down and go to sleep. I said, well, you see, the first thing you want to do is train your dog that the crate is a good place. Absolutely. But I'd rather not put them in the baggage hold. Right, absolutely. And, I, and, I, and I, I, let's figure out a way that people can get a good, you know, can get a good citizen uh, certificate so we don't have another Delta dog bite. Oh, absolutely not. That's the thing yeah, I'm looking at. What I don't want to have, okay, they pooped in first class, and yeah, well, that happened. I mean, those happen. I mean, other, that's going to happen. But uh, but you have to clean Delta, up. The Delta dog bite is something you don't want to have repeated. Nope. You, you never want your dog to freak out so much that it bites someone because that really that doesn't provide you with the emotional support you're asking for because the dog is freaking out. And what I, what I have learned at the green chimneys events that I've attended is that sometimes these um, emotional support animals will um, lunge or attack a service dog that walks by. And then well, that that's, service dog. That's really bad. And there's been some bad things where there's been some military people training our emotional support animal to guard their space. That's something that I've, uh, uh, you see, that's what I think that dog was doing on Delta Airlines. Yeah, and it's a double-edged he thought, sword. He thought he owned the role. Well, he thought he was keeping his person safe because his person had likely told him, you need to keep people three feet from me, and that's never going to work on an airplane. But that's not going to work on an airplane. You see, yeah. this, but we need to uh, figure out, uh, we also need to figure out things that people can do so our low-income folks can have the dog on the airplane without spending a fortune. Oh, absolutely. It's so expensive. So we're coming to the end of the half hour. I am so thrilled you've been here. The things I'm going to take away, and correct me if I'm wrong, is really, if you have um, a child with autism, getting them a pet can be one of the greatest things, or you can get them to walk a neighbor's dog. Now that we're all going back to work, instead of returning the dog to a shelter, work something out so that these all children can have a job and get away from the video cameras. Uh, that is key. I mean, video games. Video games. Sorry. Yes. Video games. Um, that's key. And then the second thing would be that we really need to keep a schedule ourselves and our pets help us keep a schedule. Well, that's right. And the thing is, is that for myself, having all my trips canceled, that getting up in the morning, I feel so much better. And I take that shower and I get dressed for work and I'm, sometimes it's one minute to eight, but right. I'm, I'm on time. You're on time and you're ready to go, and, and soon we will be doing that as well. And then on the final piece, let's make sure that we uh, keep emotional support animals and service animals well-trained and well-respected so that incidences like the ones that happened on Well, Delta that's the thing. You see, I'm looking at what I want to make sure it doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, it's been great to be talk to you. It's been so great to talk to you, Temple. Okay. Have a great time. And I this will. is Deborah Hamilton. Wait a minute, Temple. I'll be right okay. with you. Stay here. Um, this is Deborah Hamilton. Why do pets matter? Thank you so much, Temple. Thank you so much, everyone, for being here. And until next time, why do pets matter? Because they make our lives whole. You've been listening to the podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton. Do you have a great idea or guest or topic that you'd like me to cover? Write me at hamiltonlawandmediation.com. 
or email me at why do pets matter podcast at gmail.com. Until next week, our pets do matter. Thank you for being here with me.